why the United States Air Force left Afghanistan. Thousands of military members into It's time for American troops to come home. Growing economies and militarization in China and Russia. According to Xi Jinping, China's armed forces will be fully modernized by 2035 and world-class by 2050. The threat of cyber attacks and disinformation campaigns turns us against one another, sows discord in our, in our nation. I'm Staff Sergeant Janiqua Robinson with Staff Sergeant Sarah Voigt, and this is Pushing the Envelope. So how did we get here? There are countless decisions and factors that could be pointed to, but I would highlight a few that clearly paved the way. Early in the war, we did achieve our original counterterrorism objective of significantly degrading al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. Over time, however, that mission morphed into convoluted counterinsurgency and nation building. While the U.S. presence in Afghanistan drew down significantly over the last few years, the lack of a defined strategy continued to erode the mission. Chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, Senator Jack Reed, gave his opening remarks during the testimony on the conclusion of military operations in Afghanistan and plans for future counterterrorism operations. Despite colossal efforts over multiple administrations, both Democratic and Republican, we were unable to help build an Afghan government capable of leading its people, nor an Afghan security force capable of defeating the Taliban. Afghan soldiers fought bravely in the face of massive casualties, but faced with the loss of American military support and hamstrung by corruption within, they were unable to stand on their own against Taliban forces. During the withdrawal, Major General Michael Thompson Adjutant General for Oklahoma addressed military members who served in Afghanistan. And over the last few days, the conversation that I've had with my colleagues, invariably, the sentiment rises to the forefront of the conversation. Was my service worth it? Was our sacrifice worth it? And I will tell you, although I'm a combat veteran myself, and my son is a combat veteran of Af Afghanistan, and my daughter just returned from Afghanistan in 2019. I am ill-equipped to make that decision. And we will not find an answer to that question on a Facebook poll or a survey or a hashtag moment. The only person that can answer that question is you. It's a deeply personal question. The thing that I would ask you to consider in your service in Afghanistan, you did everything your country asked you to do. You did your part. On August 16th, 2021, President Biden addressed the nation. With the terror threat now in many places, keeping thousands of troops grounded and concentrated in just one country at a cost of billions each year makes little sense to me and to our leaders. We cannot continue the cycle of extending or expanding our military presence in Afghanistan, hoping to create ideal conditions for the withdrawal and expecting a different result. I'm now the fourth United States president to preside over American troop presence in Afghanistan. Two Republicans, two Democrats. I will not pass this responsibility onto a fifth. After consulting closely with our allies and partners, with our military leaders and intelligence personnel, with our diplomats and our development experts, with the Congress and the Vice President, as well as with Mr. Ghani and many others around the world, I've concluded that it's time to end America's longest war. It's time for American troops to come home. Three weeks ago, 
we ended the U.S. military presence in Afghanistan, where we saw our airmen execute the largest airlift in history. Not to mention the air power overhead and the tremendous work that is ongoing to move vulnerable Afghans to a better life. This is CSAF General C.Q. Brown speaking at the Air Force Association Symposium, recorded September of 2021. The day after the last C-17 left Kabul, I was in the Indo-Pacific, where a graver threat is manifesting, where the risk and stakes are high. China has adopted a whole of government approach to challenge the international order and compete against the United States. Russia continues to modernize and is flexing its military, not just to challenge the international order, but to fracture it. Strategic competition may not be as stark or obvious as a 9-11-like event, it can be just as catastrophic. We cannot wait for a catastrophic crisis, whether it be sudden or insidious, to drive change for our Air Force and the Joint Force. If we do, it'll be too late. The U.S. reacted to the attack on 9-11 by sending troops to the Middle East. Fast forward to now, pulling troops from Afghanistan and shifting towards training to fight in strategic competition is a proactive approach one where the U.S. can see and gain competitive advantage over the threat coming before American lives are lost. This is what's going on in China. Already, the PLA has the largest aviation force in the Indo-Pacific, the largest conventional missile capability in the world, is fielding hypersonic missiles, and is establishing military bases at strategic points around the globe, often in places where the U.S already has a presence challenging the security relationships with our partners. China is also disrupting the current international order, not by breaking its institutions, but instead infiltrating and building rival ones. They're using all instruments of power to achieve their goal and outpaces. To put the gravity of our pacing challenge into perspective, at the height of the Cold War, the USSR's GDP was 57% of the US's. It's projected that China's economy will likely exceed the US as the largest economy in the world in the next 10 years. Why is this important for us to take notice and change? The Indo-Pacific region is home of about half the world's population, about two thirds of the world's GDP, four of the five largest world economies, seven of the 10 largest militaries, and five of the eight nuclear armed powers. Narrowing a bit further, one third of the liquid natural gas reserves are in the South China Sea. One quarter of all global trade passes through the South China Sea, evidence that China's unlawful claims in the South China Sea affect us all. Bottom line, they will have the economic and military means to influence the international stage in ways that are against our interests and the free and open Indo-Pacific. This is what's going on in Russia. Russia is modernizing and expanding its military capabilities to reinforce its challenge of international norms and directly compete with the U.S., its allies and partners around the world. Not only does Russia employ its military to coerce unlawful claims in sovereign territories and influence politics, but they also use a wide range of capabilities that are below the threshold of conflict, such as cyber, state-sponsored coercion of nations, seeking to solidify great power status. They're hard to detect cruise missiles, advanced submarines, revamped air force, and modernized nuclear capabilities directly challenge the U.S., and they are not afraid to show us. To complicate matters, we are witnessing a new level of joint interaction between Russia and China, as evidenced by Russian and Chinese forces participating in each other's military exercises. 
their new and increased joint efforts counter our alliances and our partnerships. We can no longer rest on the successes of yesterday. Some may say losing our advantage is impossible. I say I don't believe in impossible. In order to gain competitive advantage against China and Russia, the U.S. Air Force has to identify something key, their own vulnerabilities. Mobile devices make every one of us easier to find, make our, our activities easier to track. They reveal information about us. There are lots of cyber opportunities, both in our personal lives, but also in our infrastructure in the United States. So whether it's gas pipelines and transportation infrastructure, our energy infrastructure, all of those things are vulnerable to things like cyber attack. This is Lieutenant General Jim Slife, commander of the Air Force Special Operations Command, or AFSOC. His role is to prepare special operations airmen to counteract new emerging threats. Those are the, the types of things that I think we're, we're at greatest risk of. And frankly, every other nation are at great risk because those pieces of infrastructure are not typically as well hardened as military capabilities are. With the emergence of new tech, threats no longer exist exclusively outside U.S. borders. Now, they are within them, too. The population of any democracy, the United States certainly, are both the strength but also an opportunity for an adversary to exploit that form of government. And so for the United States, I think our populace is at risk of being fed disinformation that turns us against one another, turns us against a particular political party, sows discord in our nation. When you hear questions about the legitimacy of the election results, for example, or when you see the heavily partisan nature of everything from domestic politics to the way news is reported, the slant that various news organizations will put on a story uh, the, to appeal to a particular constituency. These types of divisions in our society are, are unhelpful. And I think social media has exacerbated this in many ways. The confluence of these things, whether it's, it's disinformation, whether it's a heavily politicized environment that we're living in domestically, the advent of, of social media that is tuned to whatever your particular views are. I think those things all really serve to be threats to our ability to act civilly towards one another as citizens. With respect to where do we stand in defense uh, against the, these emerging threats, I mean, for every action, there, there is some counteraction that we can take. So certainly, we are trying to protect ourselves against threats in those domains. But, um, you know, I don't think we would be uh, good special operators in APSOC if we weren't thinking about how we can use those things to actually exploit our adversaries' weaknesses. And, you know, many of these areas, electromagnetic spectrum, the cyber domain, uh, certainly all, uh, all the attention that's being put on the space domain these days, all of those things are very technically complex. And one thing that I've learned in six assignments on the Gulf Coast of Florida is that the only thing better than owning a boat is having a friend that owns a boat. When you think about space, for example, uh, the, the U.S. Space Force and, uh, and operationally the United States Space Command have uh, tremendous capability and uh, we just need the, the relationships to be able to uh, leverage those capabilities and, and to support their operations with uh, special operations capabilities. So it's, it's very much a two-way street. 
This year, the Chief Architect's Office deployed an AI algorithms for the first time to a live operational kill chain at the Distributed Common Ground Station and Air Operations Center for automated target recognition. Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall is describing innovation happening between commands that affects total force operations. In this case, moving from experimentation to real military capability, in the hands of operational warfighters, significantly reduced the manpower-intensive tasks of manually identifying uh, individual targets, shortening the kill chain, and accelerating the speed of decision-making. The Space Force is pursuing a space-based ground-moving target indicator capability. GMTI. The space-based GMTI system will replace a portion of the JSAR sensing capability. It will surpass the range limitations of current air platforms and provide resilient capabilities in both contested and uncontested environments. I will be looking for other opportunities to rapidly and efficiently move the applications of advanced technology from any source down the field as quickly as possible to get meaningful military capabilities into the hands of our operators. No mission can be performed without skilled and dedicated people. When the mission is daunting, it must be performed with urgency. This is especially true. The challenges the Department of the Air Force faces can only be met if we attract America's best to serve and give these people the opportunity and environment in which they can make the greatest contributions that they are capable of. We are in a time of what is literally unprecedented change inside of AFSOC. And, and it's exciting. I mean, change is hard. It, it is sometimes uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, it's exciting. And one of the things that, that we frequently talk about here is that, you know, if you don't like change, wait till you try irrelevance, right? As hard as change is, irrelevance is worse. And so we have to undertake this change so that 10 years from now, when the middle school kids of today join the Air Force and put on an AFSOC patch, I want to make sure that those kids of today join an AFSOC that is indispensable for the nation. I want them to know that the, that the command that they're joining matters, that they are going to find themselves doing things that are critically important to the United States, and that they're relevant. And so as relevant as we have been for the last 20 years, we have to accelerate change in order to make sure those middle school kids are going to be relevant 10 years from now when they put on our patch. It's our airmen that inspire me when I think about the future of our force. The Air Force of 2030 will not be built in the Pentagon. It is being built in our squadrons and in our work centers. It is being built by you, inspiring your people to enhance your readiness and create a culture that values diversity, inclusion, and respect. It is up to you to build the Air Force that we need. It is up to us at the Pentagon to support you. The future fight will require new ways of thinking and new ways of fighting. This is not the do more with less mantra. This is a do what we need to do to be able to compete, deter, and win. Tell us what you need, let us know where the challenges are, and help us to help you. It is not just about capabilities and platforms, it is about the creativity, resilience, and fortitude of our airmen. The more agile and adaptable our forces, the harder it will be for our adversaries to challenge us. The more we ensure we have the right ideas and the right capabilities for a high-end fight, the more difficult it will be for China to outpace us. 
And the sooner that we create an environment where our airmen can be their very best and have the tools to propel us forward to accelerate the changes we need, the better our nation will be for it. The talent is there. It's in here, folks. The drive is there. The dedication is there. Again, it will be our airmen that remain our most competitive advantage today, tomorrow, and always. That was Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force, Joanne Bass, speaking at the Air Force Association Symposium. Thank you for listening. For more United States Air Force podcasts, visit af.mil.